It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday. It is June 19, 2020, and I thank you for joining me. Um, the world seems to have come unglued, um, so we're going to play the inevitable game of catch-up tonight and, and try to sort out all of the crazy stuff that's going on uh, and, and try to figure out where we go from here. Um, first of all, you know, I, I want to start out, by the way, uh, my family had a, a bit of a tragedy. We lost our, our puppy to, well, she wasn't a puppy, but you always think of your dogs as puppies, uh, came on suddenly. She was healthy one day, and within 48 hours she was gone. It's a reminder of how precious and fleeting and significant life is. Uh, you know, I, I, I've always thought that dogs were the best people in the world, one of my favorite bumper stickers read the more people I meet the more I love my dog um, so if you have a dog or a pet um, after the program give that uh, pet a good hug for me um, let's not take the um, animals and the people in our lives for granted really important remember how um, we really need to look out for each other it's about compassion it's about kindness uh, our dog in fact was a rescue um, once things settle down, we will probably adopt another rescue animal. Uh, human beings need to show the kind of compassion that we're capable of, not only with pets, but with each other. And what I find so disturbing is the war being waged by the radical left on America, Americans, law enforcement, divisiveness, um, and racism that they demonstrate. We ought not be looking at each other and defining ourselves or anyone else by what I call superficial factors, race, religion, ethnicity. You might not believe it if you listen to the garbage being spewed by the globalists, by the mainstream media, by the politicians. Immigration law enforcement is not about racism. It's not about bigotry. It's not about hate. As an immigration agent, and I was with the INS for 30 years, very proud to have served in that, for that agency, I arrested people from virtually every country on the planet. The open borders crowd would have you believe that what I did as an agent, what we do in law enforcement, especially immigration, is to go after people because they have perhaps brown skin or black skin or purple skin or, or, or have polka dots. It's simply about making the distinction between people who are citizens and people who are not. And the proper term for people who are not citizens is alien. Believe it or not, it's not a hate term. 
Our immigration laws define alien simply as being any person, not a citizen or national of the United States. Where in the world is the insult? Where in the world? And in fact, this week, the Supreme Court ruled against President Trump's plan to dismantle DACA, Deferred Action Childhood Arrival. And what was so disturbing about what Judge Roberts did, the Chief Justice, he didn't address the issue of DACA, but basically said he didn't like the way the paperwork was filled out by the Trump administration. Wow, that takes my breath away. You know, um, if you consider this, DACA was not a law. DACA was the result of a memo filed by Janet Napolitano when she was the head of Homeland Security and said, we are not going to deport people who claim, and that's the issue here, claim they came in as children. Everyone thinks that DACA and the DREAM Act, and by the way, DREAM Act, to my point about the term alien, is really an acronym for Development, Relief, and Education um, for Alien Minors, alien minors. So because the word alien was essential to conjure up the image of the American dream, which applies to fewer Americans, uh, it seems, on a routine basis, they use the word alien with no problem. The word's okay because the narrative required the use of that word. Use it for any other purpose, and the people who want to be the arbiters of language, the Ministry of Truth out of 1984, and I will keep saying it until I, I get everyone to read it, Please get a hold of 1984 and read that book by George Orwell. You'll understand exactly what's going on in America. His view of a dystopian, totalitarian government, boy, oh, boy, strikes close to home, strikes close to where we are now. The use of language to manipulate thought through the manipulation of language, it's all there. It's all there. So the word alien is supposed to be hate speech unless it's part of the acronym DREAM Act and then it becomes acceptable. Hypocrisy permeates everything, particularly, particularly from the radical left. I have never seen it this twisted or this crazy. They've become seditionists, they've become anarchists, they've become totalitarians, and they are the fascists. Antifa said they're fighting fascism. No, the Democrat Party, and I'm a registered Democrat, is conducting itself as a fascist entity. No compromise, total control, total victory, no halfway. And, and, and so here we are. And so the Supreme Court said we're not going to knock down, we're not going to allow the president to dismantle DACA until and unless he comes up with a better explanation. How insane is that? Understand that DACA was illegal. DACA was based on the deferred action of people who are here as aliens who need to stay for a longer period of time when they have a family emergency. It was about being compassionate. That was what it was about. I, I handled those cases as an agent. I handled all these things as an immigration agent. So I'll give you an example. A family goes, visits in the United States, hopefully not Disney World because the way they treat their American workers is beyond outrageous. I wouldn't go to Disney World if they gave me free tickets and free everything else. I would tell them where they could put the tickets. Um, we need to have companies look out for Americans. You want to be an American company? Demonstrate that you put American workers first and lawful immigrants, both, both. 
But when you start bringing in foreign high-tech workers so you can displace Americans who've been loyal to you for decades and been very successful and productive, I'm done with you. And Disney did it with their programmers, their entire IT department. They decimated that department. They fired hundreds of American workers who had been getting exemplary evaluations. These weren't slugs. These were highly skilled, highly professional, highly dedicated and loyal employees who got the shaft from uh, Disney World. Talk about a Mickey Mouse operation. Pardon the pun. So... um, What we're looking at with DACA was this idea that we're going to allow people who are here illegally, or here legally rather, deferred action, to stay here because of a family emergency. So let's say the family is here visiting from you name the country, Mexico, Argentina, England, France, Germany, Israel, Japan, Australia, I don't care. Pick a country. They're all the same. This isn't about bigotry. And let's say, God forbid, their child runs across the street and breaks his or her leg. They're not going to travel with a child with a badly injured leg. Or they're visiting a family member in the United States. The family member has a medical emergency, and they don't want to leave grandpa in the emergency room. They want to stay with him. They want to stay with grandma because she suffered a stroke. We will give these people extended period in the United States, and if it's a long enough period of time and verified by a doctor who's attending the the injured or sick relative, then we will even give them employment authorization. We couldn't bend over backwards far enough to be compassionate and reasonable. That was what deferred action was for. And so the doctor every 30 days or every 60 days would give us an update. Patient still in a coma. Patient still requires care, whatever it is. And we would automatically, without big fuss or deal about it, renew the person's ability to stay in the country. The whole family, they could stay here. We're not trying to divide families, that usual nonsense argument. So this was supposed to be done on a case-by-case basis to help people who are having a personal crisis. Could we be any more fair or rational or reasonable? Along comes Obama. They couldn't get the DREAM Act passed because it really wasn't about children. That was the lie. And to this day, watch the media. They'll tell you, oh, these are people who came as children. Some of them did. But the age cutoff of the DREAM Act was 35. For DACA, it was 31. Well, they had to do. The alien just had to claim they came before they were 15. There is no capacity to interview these people. There is certainly no capacity to do field investigations. There's no way of knowing how long an illegal alien has been present in the United States if they run the border, because there's no record of entry that is created. So Congress wisely voted down the DREAM Act. Obama, back in 2012, in the Rose Garden, gave this big speech and said, Congress has failed to act, so I'm acting. A year earlier, when he was asked what he would do about these young aliens, so-called, he said, I don't have the authority. I don't write the law. That's Congress's job. Suddenly, He decided he had the authority, and he said, I'm going to allow them to stay until Congress does what I want them to do because Congress has failed to act. By the way, folks, for the record, when Congress votes down bad legislation, it's not a failure to act. That's part of what Congress does. It's not a rubber stamp for the whims of the the executive branch. The Congress is a deliberative body, or at least it's supposed to be, 
that decides on whether or not to enact laws that are then sent to the president for a signature. When Congress says, no, it's not a failure to act, a parent who doesn't let the kid go to a birthday party because the child didn't do his, his or her homework, that parent isn't failing to act. The parent is acting responsibly. That's what Congress did. But Obama lied through his teeth and said, oh, no, 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 Congress didn't act. The point was Congress didn't act the way he wanted it to. So he circumvented the Constitution of the United States of America, and we were off to the races. President Trump came in and said, no, we're not going to have this continue. Now, realize this was policy of the prior administration. You have a new administration. You would think they should have the right to say, just off the top, we're going to end the program that we didn't initiate and that we don't agree with. That is why elections have consequences. Simple as that. Okay. Well, every time the president tries to act, there's one roadblock after another, after another, after another ad nauseum. And that's how we got to where we are now, where Judge Roberts said, well, I'm not going to tell you you can't do it, but I'm not going to allow this to happen until I'm satisfied. Go home and do your homework over. How crazy is this? How crazy is this? <clears throat> so this is now where we stand. Anytime the president wants to do something that helps Americans, and this does help Americans, because let's remember that the immigration laws used to be the prime responsibility of the U.S. Department of Labor to protect jobs and wages of American workers. Does it get better than that? Does it get better than that? You know, the black community today is celebrating what they call Juneteenth, the anniversary of the end of slavery in the United States. But American minorities, indeed many Americans, but in particular American minorities, are being held slave or made slaves to poverty. And every time politicians refuse to help the president to prevent foreign workers from entering America to compete with American workers, you are destroying opportunities for Americans. You are suppressing wages for Americans. This is why homelessness is through the roof. We keep bringing in more workers. They need housing. The demand on housing increases. Supply and demand increase the demand. The price goes up. Wages are declining because we have more workers coming in, much as President Trump is trying to do what he's doing. Of course, now with the COVID virus, we've got a real problem. Record unemployment, this is worse than the Depression, but it's not because of an economic flaw. It's because we had to shut down the government. In fact, the Federation for American Immigration Reform, FED, did a study and found that the great majority of Americans want to see many few, fewer aliens entering America so that Americans can get back to work. And the Democrats who claim to be on the side of American workers are doing the exact opposite, aided and abetted by the Republicans who want cheap labor for the people who bribe them. Everyone's getting bribed. That's what campaign contributions are. They're bribes. So here we have a situation where President Trump has to fight the Supreme Court to end an executive order issued back in 2012 by the prior president. If that doesn't qualify for insanity, I don't know what does. And, and so, you know, understand what this really means. Apparently, where we really are now is that any president can issue an executive order that will be regarded as law by our courts, I suspect. Maybe we don't need a legislature anymore. Maybe we just have a president who issues decrees and it'll become the law of the land. What's really happening here? 
This is an erosion of the checks and balances that is enshrined in the Constitution of the United States. The idea that you have an executive branch, a legislative branch, and you have the, the court system. We don't need any of that. All you need is a magic pen and a magic phone, as Obama said. Issue executive orders and you're off to the races, unless, of course, your name is Donald Trump. And then, of course, everyone's going to attack you. Imagine a president who wants to do his best for Americans, including American minorities. Wages and job opportunities for American minorities has never been greater than it has been under President Trump. And I'm not a campaign guy for Trump. I don't always agree with him. Sometimes I wish he would shut his mouth and close his Twitter account. I'll be honest with you. I told my kids when they were growing up, the part of their anatomy that would be likely to give them the most problem wasn't the part they thought it was, wink, wink, but it was their mouths. Be careful what you say. Be careful what you put on paper. And sometimes Donald Trump just goes off. But I believe that at the heart of what he's trying to do, it's to improve conditions for Americans and protect our security and protect our safety. Which brings us to where we are with the attack on law enforcement. What happened to George Floyd was outrageous beyond words. I've spoken about it here. I've spoken about it in my podcasts over at DML News and in my writing for Front Page Magazine. Today, in fact, I haven't written a new article for Front Page since June 3rd, and it's really appropriate. Please go check it out at frontpagemag.com. It's called America Under Attack, Antifa Aided and Abetted by the Radical Leftist Political uh, Politicians' Policies. And, and I really lay out what's going on. And in my prior article, and I provided a link in, in this article, I talked about in order for the Democrats to succeed, Americans must fail. The Democrats aren't simply trying to bring in new voters by having massive immigration. It's clear, it's crystal clear that the, the MO, the modus operandi, the tr strategy being followed by the Democrats is to destroy the middle class, to make as many Americans as possible dependent on subsidies because the Republicans don't believe in subsidies and the Democrats do. They want to hook Americans on money the way a, a, a drug dealer hooks kids on crack so they control them. So they're trying to drive as many Americans as possible into poverty so they will be beholden to the party that offers subsidies to help them with housing and food and, and, and so forth. This is a power grab. That's exactly what this is. So we have this terrible killing of George Floyd. Um, Chauvin, the police officer, seen in the video um, with his knee on Mr. Floyd's neck. I, I, I can't unsee that. Once you've seen that horrific image, it, it burns itself in, into your head. It's impossible to forget it. I, I'll pro if I live to be 120, uh, my, my last day on earth, I will still see that horrific image. But he's entitled to his day in court, and he's entitled to enjoy the presumption of innocence. He's not yet proven guilty. It's important that we follow the system, which is why when cops get fired on the spot, uh, there's supposed to be a process involved. Everything is supposed to be done in accordance with a process, with the Constitution, with standing law. We're turning America into a mobocracy. We're turning America into a mobocracy. It's very dangerous, very dangerous. But what happened with, with Mr. Lloyd, I haven't heard a single person of any color, race, religion, profession, 
I've not heard a single person go on any program and try to somehow say that what happened was reasonable or appropriate. It was, I don't even know what words we can use. To say outrageous, it's an overused word. It was despicable, disgusting beyond words. It's just that simple. I'm usually considered the wordsmith. I'm out of words, folks. But that was an isolated case. And now the radical left running around saying, oh, the cops are out to kill black people. We had another incident in Atlanta at a Wendy's, and we all know this one. Ray Shaw Brooks, a couple days ago, fell asleep or keeled over, conked out in the drive-through lane of a Wendy's in Atlanta. The police were called because everyone was stuck. They couldn't get around him. The cops show up. And before the body camera footage was released, the lawyers were saying, oh, if he was white, this wouldn't have happened. This happened because he was a black guy. And then we started to see the video footage, and I'm sure you've seen it. If you haven't, please go check it out. And by the way, don't ever accept anything I tell you without question. Challenge everything and everyone. Don't take anyone's words for anything, including mine. I'm serious. I'm glad you're listening to my program. I hope it's thought-provoking. I hope you will share this program with as many of your friends. I hope you will provide the link to the podcast to everybody you know and ask them to do the same and be part of what I call my bucket brigade of truth. But please don't blindly say, oh, Cutler said it, it must be true. Baloney. Do your homework, okay? But what I saw in that video was two police officers knocking on Mr. Brooks' window asking him, first of all, if he was okay. They weren't surly. They weren't in his face. They were very soft-spoken. They were very professional. They were very considerate and very compassionate. The first thing they asked is, do you need medical assistance? Are you okay? What else could they have done? When they got him to pull out of that lane so that people could go get their food, they started to question him. It was a lengthy discussion, and I saw bits and pieces of it, very conversational, very relaxed, very low-key. No confrontation, no screaming, no yelling, no nothing. They got him to take a breathalyzer, and he blew better than point one. He was over the limit, and he was in a car, which is a crime, and drunk driving kills people. I remember the morning after my first solo flight, a long time ago, I was waiting at a red light. I had gone out for dinner with a gal I was dating back then to celebrate. I was in my 20s, waiting at a red light. Now, they told me flying was dangerous. Some guy who was drunk out of his mind blew into my car and his speedometer stuck at just under 70 miles an hour. My car got thrown 200 feet. It's a miracle I'm alive. Even back then, I had a Dodge Challenger. I had both of those seatbelts fastened. Back then, it was not an easy thing. It was separate straps. I used to call it the snake pit, you know, because you had to take the, the seatbelt off that. There was like clips that held it to, to the ceiling of the car. Luckily, I was wearing it or I wouldn't be here. The car, my car, buckled in the middle, okay? Serious business. Drunk driving isn't a joke. Going after drunk drivers saves innocent lives. It's just that simple. It's a life-saving issue. Get the drunks off the road. Get the people off the road who are high and impaired. They kill people. They cripple people. So they said to Mr. Brooks, we're going to have to arrest you. Do you know what the four most dangerous words are that a law enforcement officer can say? 
four words that will get you really into can get you into trouble. You are under arrest. Because once you do that, you're spinning the wheel of fortune or maybe misfortune, as my son would say. You're playing Russian roulette, and there's more than one gun involved. Because you don't know if that guy, because this was a random stop, the cops had no way of knowing what his background was, had no way of knowing what his frame of mind was. I've arrested people wanted for murder in other countries, and they were as docile as a lamb. You're under arrest. Yes, sir, you got me. They put their hands behind the back. We handcuffed them, and away we go. And you can get somebody who's never been arrested before and freaks out at the thought that he's going to be arrested or she's going to be arrested, and all, all hell breaks loose. I've been in situations in my office where people wound up in the ER because some guy was told he was under arrest, started throwing chairs and biting people. It was insane. He was like a whirling dervish, a guy from China. He was all of maybe five foot six and probably didn't weigh more than 130 pounds, and five of us got injured by this guy. You just don't know. As soon as you say those magic words, you're under arrest, hold on for dear life because you may be in for a rough ride. By the way, this is why it's important that immigration agents should have access to motor vehicle information, information being denied by thug governor of New York Cuomo. I call him a thug because he called the ICE agents thugs. This is madness. Immigration is a major issue for national security, the second largest contingent of agents assigned to the Joint Terrorism Task Force or immigration agents. Think about it. Every foreign national who enters America to engage in terrorism violates multiple immigration laws by coming here and by being here. Who better to have on the JTTF, the Joint Terrorism Task Force, than immigration agents? I've arrested, I've investigated terrorists from various countries in the United States. My first fraud case caused me to trip over a terror plot in Israel. We prevented the bombing of an oil refinery and saved many lives. But Governor Cuomo, the guy that killed thousands of people in the nursing homes by ordering that they take COVID patients back to nursing homes. Uh, These were vulnerable people, the most vulnerable. He claimed that the federal government said that they had to do this. No, the Fed said you can readmit them but only if you're able to properly isolate them and treat them. But he left that part out of the conversation. So Cuomo won't provide that information. Uh, And again, this is where everything kind of comes together, immigration and anarchy. They started anarchy with immigration, and now it's progressed to all police around the country and left states, the leftist states. I won't even call them Democrat states. These are leftists. I consider myself a Democrat. These people aren't Democrats. They're leftists. They are seditionists. They're very dangerous. They're anti-American in my judgment. It turned out that Mr. Brooks went nuts. If you saw the body cameras, he punched at the cops. He fired a taser. One of the cops banged his head, wound up with a concussion. This wasn't just resisting arrest. This guy became extremely violent, combative. And eventually he grabs one of the cops, tasers, takes off, police officer chases him the guy turns to fire the taser and the officer shoots two rounds and winds up hitting him in the back and killing him one of the things that was said by the atlanta prosecutor or two things need to be looked at number one he said he was more than 15 feet away they estimate looking at the footage on on the video that they were just over 18 feet apart and the range of a taser is about 15 feet So do you really think in the heat of a chase, in the middle of a melee, a fight, 
cops injured, guy with a with a with a concussion. They're gonna take out the tape measure and he say, "Oh, that's okay. He's he's three. I'm three feet away from from the zone where I could get hit by the taser." Baloney. Look, if they were thirty or forty feet apart, I would accept that argument and say, "Yeah, he should have known that that taser didn't present the threat." But we're splitting hairs. We estimate he was eighteen feet away. Are they sure? Who knows? And it only works to fifteen feet. We're talking about a, a, a small percentage of difference. The cop fired. I would like to believe I wouldn't have, given all the circumstances. But in the heat of the moment, everything going on, you don't know. You don't know. Certainly, this doesn't rise to the level of murder, which carries the death penalty as a maximum punishment, by the way. And the other cop is being charged with assault for helping his partner. I I mean, think about the lunacy here, folks. Two weeks ago, the same prosecutor said, that a taser is a lethal weapon. Now, in this case, the same prosecutor, apparently lying through his teeth, said, no, this isn't a lethal weapon. So how did it go from lethal a week or two ago to non-lethal now? Two cops tried to get people out of a car. If you saw that tape in Atlanta, the people ran. They wouldn't stop. They stopped. They ran again. They tried to run over a cop. Eventually, the cop fires a taser. cop was fired. He was accused of using a deadly weapon against a motorist. Deadly. Taser. But in the hands of a criminal, the taser is not lethal. Oh, did I say criminal? Yes. So let's clear this up. And I'm not trying to muddy the name or reputation of a dead man. That's not what we're doing here. But when you're in law enforcement, you look for three things, motivation, opportunity, and and, and the ability to do whatever it is you're trying to do. So here is Rayshard Brooks fighting like crazy. It turned out he had a good reason to fight like crazy. And nobody in the mainstream media is talking about this. But two days ago, the Daily Mail published a report, and here is what it said. Let me bring this up. Exclusive, Rayshard Brooks was on probation for four crimes, including cruelty to children and facing going back to prison if charged with a DUI, driving under the influence when he was found asleep and intoxicated at Wendy's drive through And I'll read this to you. This is from the article that was published two days ago on the 17th, um, and this was over at the Daily Mail. Rayshard Brooks was on probation and facing going back to prison if he was charged with a DUI, DailyMail.com can reveal. The 27-year-old was shot and killed by police after he was found asleep at the Wendy's drive through in Atlanta on Friday, June 12th. He was compliant with the cops, but after he failed, failed a field sobriety test, and blew a 0.108 when breathalyzed. Brooks suddenly resisted when cops tried to cuff him. Brooks was shot twice in the back as he tried to make a break for it. The charges to which Brooks pleaded guilty and for which he is still on probation dated back to August 2014. Have you seen this anywhere, folks? You're not seeing this in the media. None of the leaders that have been speaking out, none of the lawyers have been saying, hey, there's a problem with this guy. It's a one-sided Let's get the cops. The article goes on and said that he, meaning uh, Brooks, was convicted on four counts. Convicted. False imprisonment, simple battery of a family, battery, and felony cruelty and cruelty to children. I don't know if it was his kids or what. I believe it was about his kids. But immediately, he's a loving father. The girl was about to have a birthday party, and look what happened. I wonder if that was the girl 
that he was found guilty of being cruel to, false imprisonment of. I mean, think about what we're talking about. Very different picture now emerges. And it finally says, Brooks had not been in trouble since 2016 until last December when he went to Ohio without informing his probation officer, but the case was dismissed. So here you have a guy who certainly had motivation to run. I wound up testifying at a murder trial many years ago. It was probably the toughest case I ever participated in. I had physically deported an alien by the name of Ronaldo Rayside. He was a Panamanian who was found guilty of drug trafficking and other crimes, lost his resident alien status, lost his green card because he was a convicted drug dealer, had convictions for all sorts of crimes. I physically put him on an airplane executing a deportation order from an immigration judge. This was back in the late 80s. He came back to the United States illegally, but the NYPD, even back then, was not allowed to tell immigration that they had arrested him not once but twice. Both times, by the way, when I ultimately saw the arrest report, the arresting officers said that the guy resisted arrest, that he fought with them. But they never told us, even though reentry after deportation is a felony. And as you may know, I worked with Aldemato to make reentry by criminal aliens a felony with a maximum 20-year jail sentence attached to it. Not a, not a minor crime. There's not that many crimes in the federal, uh, federal law that will subject you to the potential of spending 20 years, 20 years in jail. Okay? Well, they didn't tell us. And the third time, he gets arrested by the police for doing a motor vehicle violation, and a 24-year-old police officer by the name of Robert Machati pulls him over. This guy goes for Machati's gun. There's a battle in the middle of the street. Shots ring out. Officer Machati, 24 years old, married, and his wife was pregnant at the time, is killed. The reason they had me testify at the trial that I was on the witness stand for several hours was trying to establish what motivated him to fight so aggressively because he had to be thinking, my God, if they tell immigration that I'm here, I'm going away for years. That certainly gave him motivation, didn't it? So motivation is important. That's why it's important that immigration agents and Border Patrol agents know everything they can about somebody they encounter when they're on duty. But you have to imagine that Governor Cuomo would like to see immigration agents hurt or killed. I, I don't know any other way of looking at it. He didn't seem to give a damn about the thousands of people in nursing homes who died. He's a thug, an unmitigated thug. I'm sick of the Andy and Chrissy show, okay? Only a thug could do these things. By the way, he is concerned about Canada. From what I understand, Cuomo is providing that information to Canadian authorities to protect Canada, but screw America. Lovely guy. He's a prince among princes. Uh, and by the way, they're also giving driver's licenses to illegal aliens and realize that motor vehicles are generally the weapon of choice used by terrorists around the world today. What could possibly go wrong? So we come back to this case. Police officer tries to make an arrest. That's his sworn obligation. He's got a drunk driver. The guy obviously drove there drunk. He's going to take him into custody. Now he's in a battle for his life. Because if you're fighting with somebody who's resisting arrest, you're not just fighting to arrest the person. You're fighting to make sure he doesn't get a hold of your gun. Then this guy was clearly trying to get a hold of their weapons. He did. This is a conjecture. He got a hold of a taser. Shot one taser at the cops. One cop winds up banged up with a concussion. This wasn't a disagreement. He wasn't saying, please don't arrest me. 
He was throwing punches and took these two cops to the ground. So in the heat of battle, the fog of battle, a police officer fires at him as this guy fires the taser at him. That police officer is on trial, is going to be on trial for his damn life. You think about that. You think about that. And they're going to try to conflate what happened here with what happened to Mr. Floyd. This is comparing ping pong balls with atom bombs, okay? There is no comparison. And now we're being told we're going to defund the police. Let me tell you where this is going to lead us. Let me, let's look at the rabbit hole. The way you prevent violent encounters is by overwhelming superiority of numbers and firepower. That's the doctrine they teach at the academy. If it's a one-on-one arrest and a guy is going to go to jail for a long time, we know how that plays out. The guy will fight, he will shoot, he'll do whatever he has to do. And I've been on operations where people were looking at life in jail or maybe even the death sentence. One guy from Florida who killed uh, several, I believe he killed two police officers. They have nothing to lose. You go through that door, you come in with a half dozen people, submachine guns, and so forth. By the way, we keep hearing this nonsense, oh, we've got to demilitarize the police. No, we don't. No, we don't. I don't like cops in full battle gear going on patrol. They did that in New York, the so-called Hercules teams. They'd show up with Kevlar helmets and flak jackets and submachine guns. They'd jump out of the cars. You know, 20 cars would pull up, and they'd wander around the corner for 15 minutes, jump back in the cars, and go run off to some other neighbor. To my thinking, that's foolish. But you need to have the police equipped with what they need for the eventuality that some guy is going to be heavily armed. We saw it in California where these two heavily armed gunmen, if you remember this, probably 20 years ago, shot up a quiet, well-to-do neighborhood with heavy-duty machine guns, thousands of rounds fired. They were wearing body armor. They were taking bullets to their body, and they had no impact. That's how heavily protected they were. You had cops running into gun stores looking to quickly get their hands on long guns so they had equal firepower. Not superior, but equal. And in the process, people were killed. The the, the damage done was unbelievable. Eventually, they they, they shot these two guys, and, and that was that. But only because they were able, the cops were able to get into gun stores. The gun owners, the, the gun store owners said, here, take whatever guns and ammunition you need. Go get them. That should never happen again. Look at what happened in San Bernardino with those, with those two pieces of garbage who, who shot up the people at work, if you remember that attack. The cops had an armored personnel vehicle that they used to protect themselves when they went in to take these people down. They were supposed to return that vehicle to the military a day or two later. Those vehicles, that equipment, that kind of firepower needs to be available at a moment's notice in case there's a terror attack or something crazy that happens shouldn't be there for everyday patrol purposes, I agree. But we've got to be prepared, you know, and that's what this is about. If you cut the number of cops, fewer people will show up, the likelihood of a shootout increases as the person that you're looking to arrest thinks that he or she might be able to get away with it. Increased numbers of police with increased firepower convinces the bad guy as they say in Star Trek, resistance is futile. That's how you prevent a shooting. That's how you prevent the loss of life. But cops, we're going to talk about de-escalating, and I, I have no problem with it. We need to look at the way that police officers are evaluated. Are they encouraged to make arrests? 
where maybe they could resolve issues without resorting to an arrest, that might be a better way to go very often. We have to look at possibilities. I'd like to see lots more money spent on new technology to have better means of stopping somebody without killing them, non-lethal, besides tasers. We should be using technology to maximum advantage so that you minimize the potential for a loss of life, whether it's a cop, a civilian, or even the bad guy you're trying to arrest. Nobody wants to kill anybody. Every day when I got ready to go on duty and I put my gun in my holster, I always said this little prayer, please don't let me have to use my weapon today. Thank God I never had to shoot anybody. I came very close on a half dozen occasions roughly, but I'm happy that I retired without ever once having to shoot anybody. No rational person wants to shoot another human being. I love target practice. I'll blow up targets all day long. They're fun, but you never want to hurt a person or even an animal. I was attacked by a dog one day, and I couldn't bring myself to shoot the dog, so I smacked it across the snout with my 357, and he ran off. And I had to go to the ER to be treated for a pretty deep uh, bite wound. So, you know, but this is how it works. You don't want to hurt someone. You don't want to kill someone. Let's have the technology. Let's learn how to de-escalate. But my mother used to say something to me, and she was right. She said one-sided relationships aren't relationships. If you want to talk about de-escalation, the civilians need to also de-escalate. And that's not the message being told by the leftists and by the defense lawyers and by these people uh, on the other side of the issue. They're out there making these insane statements that, Cops are looking to kill black people. I mean, think about that. And if you buy into this craziness, you know, perception becomes reality. Some young guy, maybe he blows a red light. He wasn't thinking, wasn't paying attention. Maybe he was speeding. He was on the phone. Shouldn't have been on the phone. Okay, things happen. You know, sees a cop car behind him. And if he buys into the lies and this fake dangerous narrative, which basically is the equivalent of inciting to riot as far as I'm concerned, And he says, oh, my God, they're going to kill me. So instead of following the lawful orders of police, he runs. Or he tries to ram them with his car. Or or he pulls a weapon. Whatever. Why is he doing it? Well, it could well be that he's doing it because he's been listening to this crap about how the cops are out to kill black people. And nothing could be further from the truth. I had the privilege of working with the members of the New York City Police Department, specifically the anti-crime unit, which has been there for decades. Mayor de Blasio has just disbanded the anti-crime unit. These are plainclothes detectives whose job it is to go on patrol but not be obvious as police officers so they're likely to see the crime that's being committed, the guy that's doing the mugging, the guy that's selling the drugs or the gun or whatever. Gone. Gone. And we're defunding the cops in New York City. And the the murder rate is going way up again. Here we go again. Here we go again. Collateral damage. Now, what's so remarkable about this, by the way, I've got to make the point because I don't want to forget this. Several months ago, President Trump frustrated that there were sanctuary cities and the courts kept blocking him. Everyone blocks him for doing right by America. Folks, this isn't an attack on Donald Trump. Okay, let's be real clear about this. This is an attack on you, me, our families, and our country. Because it's in America's best interests to follow many of the policies that President Trump has been pursuing. He's right for doing this stuff. If you look at my congressional testimony, I've been before Congress uh, on the order of 16 or 17 times. Plus, I also was invited to provide depositions for other hearings. 
And if you look at all the things I've said and all the things I've written, I'm clear on this. We need to protect America against foreign nationals who come to America to commit crime, to be part of gangs, to sell narcotics, and even to take the jobs that Americans desperately need to be successful and support their families. There's nothing wrong with that. It's about making a distinction between lawful immigrants and illegal aliens. People that are looting aren't making cash-free purchases, okay? This twisting of words, read 1984. So they've done everything they can to, to block the president. He said, you know, I'm going to defund sanctuary cities. If they're not going to cooperate with immigration law enforcement, if they're not going to help us get MS-13 and other violent transnational gangs off the street, why are we giving them money? And the courts blocked him from defunding sanctuary cities. And think of all the Democrats that immediately ran to the cameras, not only Schumer, but others, ran to the cameras and grabbed those microphones. Oh, my God, the president is going to defund the police. Oh, my God, how many people is he going to be willing to kill? People are going to die. You can't defund the police. That was just a few months ago. Now those same bums are saying we have to defund the police. So I asked them, how many people are you willing to see die? Clearly, they understand. They understand. Trump wanted to defund the police, not because he didn't want police out there, but because he was frustrated that immigration agents weren't being given the cooperation they needed. And information, like the business with motor vehicle information, with with this idiot Cuomo, are being kept from ICE agents who need the information to stay safe and do their job. See, sanctuary cities don't protect illegal aliens. They protect the employers who hire illegal aliens. Sanctuary cities protect international terrorists and transnational criminals, alien smugglers. Oh, and let's not forget crooked lawyers. That's why we never have a lot lot of ICE agents, because neither party wants ICE agents out there, because they want the status quo. That's why I've written articles where I've said that the immigration system is the most efficient delivery system in the entire federal government. It delivers an unlimited supply of cheap, exploitable labor. And believe me, there's no compassion in exploitation. An unlimited supply of foreign tourists, foreign students. And uh, for those lawyers, an unlimited supply of clients. So the president said, we're going to stop this nonsense with sanctuary cities. And he was attacked because the Democrats said, if you defund the police, innocent people will die. And now they're the ones calling for the defunding of police. Does the hypocrisy get any clearer? Does it get any more outrageous? And when you have people going before the cameras with all this seriousness on their ugly mugs and saying, oh, no wonder these young men are running from the cops. The cops want to kill them. Half the police officers, folks, are black and brown and yellow and white and have polka dots, okay? Police departments are frequently staffed by minority members. But that doesn't matter. Don't let the facts get in the way of the lies and the fake narrative. So you have young men in the ghettos, in the tough neighborhoods, convinced that if they get pulled over, they won't survive the encounter. How do we de-escalate that? Mr. Brooks was the guy who didn't de-escalate. He's the one who sent things spinning out of control, not the cops. Watch the video. Watch the video. So we're being told the cops need to de-escalate, but at the same time, they're warning black men, if a cop pulls you over, run for your life and fight like crazy. 
Is that how you de-escalate? Is that how you prevent the loss of more lives? You have to believe that they actually want more people to die so they then use those terrible videos as a fundraiser. Another one was killed. Send us money. Maybe I'm nuts, but you got to wonder. you got to wonder. You create this fake narrative that if you're black and you're being pulled over, the goal of the cop isn't to give you a ticket or maybe take you into custody. The goal of the cop is to kill you. And do you know how many people are buying into this crazy, dangerous, false narrative? This is only going to increase confrontations. This is only going to lead to more people being hurt and killed, civilians and police alike. This is a no-win situation for law enforcement. If they do their job, they might wind up getting sued. They might wind up getting killed. They might wind up getting injured. They might wind up getting prosecuted. They may lose the job and not be able to support themselves and their families. There's talk about a walkout of New York City police officers for the 4th of July. I would hate to say it. If you think it's crazy now, imagine if there were no cops to respond to 911 calls. But it seems like that's what the Democrats want. That's exactly what they want. They want mayhem. And for what purpose? They hope that that way they'll seize power and then declare martial law so they can crank down on us and control us because they're the ultimate control freaks. I mean, that's really what they're about. And when you look at some of these characters, you understand why. They probably could never get a date when they were growing up. Their parents probably ignored them and neglected them. So the only way they could get attention was to become a politician and impose their will on everybody around them. These are damaged people. These are damaged people. Normal people have no need to control the people around them. I'm happy when people are going about their day-to-day lives and enjoying themselves. There's nothing more enjoyable for me than to see people smiling and having a good time. But there's some truly evil people out there that gravitate towards positions of authority, and they do it so they can let you know that they are large and in charge. It's kind of like the old question, do you know who I am? By the way, when I encountered idiots with that question, whether I was an inspector at the airport or as an agent, and someone said, do you know who I am? I would look them in the eye and say, well, if you're asking me that question, I know darn well who you are. You're a flaming fool. Do you know who I am? I mean, I think about Nadler and Schumer and Cuomo. What a collection of misfit losers. My God, it doesn't get worse. And they believe that they are large and in charge. It has to stop. We need to rein them in. Those nitwits work for us. We are their employers, and we're doing a lousy job of supervising our employees. They are insubordinate, and they are dangerous. It's got to stop. We, the people, have that power. That's what elections are for. Elections do have consequences. When you speak to your friends and neighbors, keep the personalities out of it. Just talk about the issues. What do you plan to do if you have to call 911 and there's nobody available? What do you do if you call 911 and the cop has the attitude, I'm not taking any action because anything I do can get me into trouble. In fact, I've often joked that law enforcement needs a new form of Miranda warning issued specifically to people who carry a badge. They need to be reminded that anything they do can and will be used against them. This is not the way to make America or Americans safe. This is a way to destroy our country. 
And again, we have the power. It's called voting. It's called reaching out to politicians and making sure that they understand that we're not the idiots that they hope that we were. Our immigration laws are the fairest in the world. We're the most generous country in the world. We admit more than a million lawful immigrants every year. But we can't have the entire world come to America and expect that Americans won't be impacted by it. You listen to the news. You know, we need comprehensive immigration reform. I've told you this before, and I'll say it again. I wrote a piece for Front Page Magazine, and they said that they ought to rename comprehensive immigration reform the Overwhelm America Act. Years ago, I wrote an op-ed for the Washington Times. Then-Senator Jeff Sessions liked it so much that he quoted me from the floor of the Senate because the name I suggested for comprehensive reform back then was the Terrorist Assistance and Facilitation Act. But now I say we should add an additional name, the Overwhelm America Act, because if we allowed 25 or 30 or God knows how many millions of illegal aliens to get lawful status, that's only the tip of the iceberg because they would immediately have an absolute right to bring in each and every single one of their minor children and their spouses if they're not already here. And frequently families in the third world have many, many children, eight, nine, 10, 12 kids, not unusual, especially if a guy winds up making more than one woman pregnant. That does go on. And he would be able to bring all those children here. So suddenly, 20 or 30 million could easily exceed 100 million. So all those kids going to school, many not speaking English, what would happen to the educational system for American kids? It would absolutely implode. Inflation would go through the roof as more people chase food and fuel oil and cars and electricity and water and sewerage and critical infrastructure would be overwhelmed. At one time, people said to me, you know, it almost seems as though the Democrats are trying to destroy America. And I said to these people, you're crazy. You're crazy. That's a crazy conspiracy theory. With what I've seen in the last year or two, ladies and gentlemen, I have to come to the conclusion that I was naive. I have to come to the conclusion that the goal of the crazy left is the meltdown of our great country. Now, you can disagree with me. But you look at the facts, the facts are irrefutable. As John Adams said, facts are stubborn things. Just consider what's going on and how it's being done. War on police? Seriously. Legalizing pot at a time that we have a heroin epidemic. You really have to believe that this is about an attempt to seize power at any and all costs. We need to push back. We need to have conversations with our neighbors. We really need to look at what is being done and what is being said and draw reasonable conclusions about these unreasonable positions that they've taken. You know, we're about to celebrate Father's Day, and I just want to tell you, um, I lost my parents back when I was in college. I missed them terribly. They had the most profound impact on me of anybody in the universe. They're my heroes. I hope I'm one-tenth a parent to my kids they were to me. But being a father is the most important job we could possibly have. I was on a radio show not long ago, and the host asked me what I was most proud of. I guess he was expecting me to talk about one of my cases as an agent. I kind of surprised the guy because I said my proudest achievement is to be a father. Children need to have the 
discipline of a father and the nurturing love of a mother, and our kids need to all know that they are loved and valued by both of their parents. So for those of you who are fathers, I salute you, because I will tell you it is the most important job you could possibly have, and it's the one that matters the most to your kids, to your family, to our society. If we do a good job as being parents, then our kids will grow up with decent values and the ability to, uh, to support themselves and hopefully see through the, the craziness that we're dealing with today. I believe the madness will pass. We'll get through this rough patch. It's happened before in this country. Periodically, this does happen. But we really need to take that responsibility as, as parents and realize that you cannot be a good parent in this turbulent era without being involved in politics because this really will determine the future of America and, as a consequence, the future for our children and their children. So we must take our responsibilities as parents, uh, this weekend fathers, serious. And a good parent is a parent who makes certain that we leave this world in better shape than when we came here leave it so much better that our children, their children, and the children to come will benefit from those things that we do. And everybody can make a difference. I call it the power of one. The biggest flood stops starts with that single raindrop. And if you look at the history books, it's not about millions of people. It's generally about a handful of people who at a critical moment in history summon the courage to step forward and literally make all the difference in the world. That first step requires knowledge. You can't make demands on the politicians without knowing what it is you want. You can't make demands and expect that they're going to do the right thing unless you could do a critical analysis of how they respond to your demands, you see. So at the heart of all of this is knowledge. The purpose of my program, the purpose of the articles that I write for Front Page and the podcasts that I do for Dennis Michael Lynch at Team DML, and the purpose of this program is to provide you with the facts and the truth that you're not going to get from the mainstream media, not based on supposition and conjecture or the fact that a, a wild hare grew up my tailpipe last Thursday, but I base what I tell you on articulable facts and the experiences that I acquired during my 30-year career with the former Immigration and Naturalization Service. I hope these programs and the stuff that I do is thought-provoking, enlightening, and I hope it challenges you to dig deeper. But again, don't take my word for it. Please do your homework. And then all I ask is that when you get together with your friends and family and others, please have those conversations. And always try to end the conversation with a question, because questions are an amazing thing. They don't go away. When you end the conversation with a statement, people say, well, he's just running his mouth again. But a question left out there, my gosh, it's like a marble running around in a tin can. It doesn't go away. And every now and again, it pops up again, and it forces the person that you ask the question to think. That's something that we all must do because the stakes are that high. Again, I ask that you please read my article at front page that was published back on June 3rd, America Under Attack. Please uh, check out Dennis Michael Lynch News, DML News, Team DML, and consider becoming a subscriber to the 
podcasts. And uh, remember to, to tune in again next week right here at the Michael Cutler Hour. Again, I wish you all a happy Father's Day. And uh, I want to remind you, as always, democracy is not a spectator sport. See you next week, everybody. Stay well. Stay healthy. And if you have a pet, give that pet a big hug for me. Take care. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.